Hello and welcome into episode 51 of the Stomp the Bus show. I'm your host, Mark Harris, alongside my co-host, Colton Dodgson. And we have a special guest for this episode, uh, State Press reporter Alex Wakefield, joining the show to talk about all things ASU football in uh, such a transient time in ASU football's history. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of stuff going on in ASU football land. Yeah. Um, New quarterback, new conference, um, just all sorts of big events. What's kind of the thing that stood out to you about ASU football, right? It's kind of we're entering the season. Well, I mean, I think right now you got to start with the fact that Jaden Rashada is going to be under center. I mean, you know, he's only the second true freshman to ever start, you know, for ASU. And after everything that he's been through and after what's been, you know, seems like a really not you know, a competitive and intense quarterback battle, you know, ultimately it's Rashada, the guy with all the national attention who is going to be starting. And I think that means there's going to be a lot of eyes on ASU football early on, maybe a bit earlier on than people might have expected this year. Definitely. That's something Mark and I talked quite a bit about, especially when, um, Obviously, the national attention surrounding ASU, primarily with Rashada and all the NIL stuff that happened. Um, but we were both kind of under the impression that uh, the, the microscope wouldn't necessarily be on Rashada on the field for quite some time. I know we had Ralph Amston on um, a couple weeks ago, and, and we were all under the impression after that conversation that uh, it might be Borgay under center um, starting week one. And and it seems like I was shocked when I saw that Rashada was going to get the nod. Um, so what I'm wondering is when did, when do you feel like um, that started to shift a little bit? It feels like Rashada's rise has been pretty, has happened pretty quickly. When did you see that start to shift a little bit? Well, I'm guessing it was probably related to the Drew Pine injury. I mean, he seemed to be as much in the driver's seat as anybody else in the competition. Uh, and so I think, you know, that made things a little bit clearer. Uh, you know, and I think an indicator of that is that Dillingham has said that they'll reevaluate after the Southern Utah game, which will line up with the possibility that Pine could be back. But also, I mean, you go back to spring, and as far as being the starter, Rashada was kind of an afterthought. And so it's been this steady rise over time, you know, starting to take more second team reps. And then he was a camp T and voted a captain. And, you know, there we've started to see, you know, his on field star rise a little bit. And then, you know, obviously it's been meteoric in the last few weeks and, you know, he's going to start. Yeah. It's, it's such a great point with how in spring and entering fall camp, he was, I don't want to say an afterthought because that wasn't mm -hmm. the case, but he like no one was predicting him to be the starter. Yeah, it was right. very much to like, oh, he'll 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 you know improve as the season goes along. Um, and now, I mean, obviously, Drew Pine's injury opened the door, but I think to me the thing that's so uh, just so impressive is how quickly he kind of closed the gap with Borgay, and clearly that means he's. I mean, like, look, I haven't been at practice or anything, but like. Just by reading the tea leaves, it means that he's cutting down on the kind of freshman mistakes or the just the the errors that uh, Borgay, you know, doesn't make because how else would he be in that position anyway? So yeah, well, yeah, and ultimately, oh, sorry, go, go ahead, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, ultimately, I think we're still going to see, you know, a fair amount of true freshman errors oh, and yeah. some some rustiness. But I think I think this is ultimately a really, really smart and savvy call from Dillingham, because I think the clock for retaining Rashada long term after this year started the moment he walked on campus. And so not only do you give him the opportunity to, you know, start and feel like this is a program that's willing to invest in him long term, but also, you know, if he does end up somewhere else, ultimately in his career, him starting now, we're getting some of Jaden Rashada, you know, when, you know, in another world with a different starting quarterback, maybe, you know, his talents don't get utilized at ASU as much. Yeah, it's a great point, Alex, because in this this era of, you know, the transfer portal and everything like that, the second somebody like Jaden Rashada commits to ASU, your next thought is, OK, how long is he going to be here? Right. So that that's a it's a an interesting layer to this this whole thing. And a guy like Kenny Dillingham, who's who's had the the track record with quarterbacks that he's had in recent years and, and, and him making that commitment to a guy like Rashada. I don't know if to me it, it kind of feels like that bond being strengthened a little bit maybe that's just wishful thinking but um it, it's really cool to see somebody like dillingham this the youngest coach and in, in division one and all of that stuff make this commitment to a guy uh, a true freshman i think that's really cool to see yeah no i i completely agree hopefully the line can uh, can protect him and give him the opportunity to make some plays yeah that's probably the that's probably the uh, the weakest uh, roster group on ASU right now, it seems like. So his escapability will definitely uh, come into play. <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder, like, I wonder if you're Elijah Badger or if you're one of the other, you know, new wide receivers, Guillory, Jordan Tyson. I wonder, like, if you're happier that uh, Rashada has the starting job or you're happier if Borgay has the starting job. Because with Rashada, you may be more likely to catch, like, a – 50-yard touchdown, but he may also be more likely to miss you when you're open in the flat, whereas Borgay, like, you know he's going to hit you. Uh, I feel like that's – I feel like um, it's just interesting to be in their shoes in this, but I guess, you know, there's quarterback battles all the time at all schools, so I guess that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah, I hope – I hope we get to see a little bit of, and odds are we probably will in the, the Southern Utah game, see a little bit of, um, well, not Drew Pine necessarily, but um, Trenton Borgay and, and see what different quarterbacks bring uh, to the table. Because all of the all of the hype around Rashada has been a, his ability to to throw the deep ball and, and the element that he brings to the offense in that regard and taking the, t- the top off the defense and everything like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what the different quarterbacks bring in that game. Um, assuming we see them both, hopefully we will. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be good. Uh, but I, I expected maybe we would see another quarterback in that Eastern Michigan game too. And we know how that turned out. So. <laughs> the game um, that must not be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like every episode of this show, though, Mark, we we find a way to slide some sort of reference to that game in into an episode. You know what I'm I mean, saying? It did change like the course of ASU football history. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, Alex, were you at that game? It was it was ridiculous. Like just the way we were getting run on, and just the whole everything in the background of it. Like 
Yeah, I was not at that game, uh, but I was hearing the from everybody I knew who was at that game. I was hearing of just the strange feeling and atmosphere that the people that were there felt, and then obviously, everything, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was unique. Um, so, like with you know Rashada starting, um, just looking at the ASU football, you know, the schedule this upcoming season, like what's like what do you how do you think this team is going to kind of be this year for lack of a better phrasing no I mean it's a lot of firsts you know obviously with Rashada and then you know it, it kind of feels like Dillingham's been around for a while at this point you know because we've all been, been talking about him and, yeah. and thinking about him for so long but you know he's going to coach his first game as a head coach as the youngest head coach you know uh next week and so it's it's certainly, I think that there's going to be a lot of growing pains. And I think that there could be some ugly results early on. Like, you know, I think about Oklahoma State coming in week two. Uh, I think about USC. Oh, yeah. For like, there's the opportunity for, you know, some, some games where a lot of players and a lot of people in the, they're going to learn a lot, you know? Right. And so, uh, but ultimately, I think, you know, you look at the past few years, every, almost every year, ASU gets somebody in Tempe. And so, yeah. you know, like you had Washington last year, you had Washington several years ago, you know, you've had Oregon, et cetera, you know, uh, Michigan State, you know, somebody in Tempe comes in and isn't ready and, and ASU tends to get somebody. So I think, you know, there's certainly the possibility that once things have started to come together and the guys get to know each other a little bit better and understand the system and the coaching staff that, you know, ASU could surprise some people and, and, you know, get some national attention in that way. Uh, but it's going to be rough at first, I think, in, in some of those big time games they've got early on. Definitely. And the one thing that Mark and I have talked about quite a bit too, and I, I wanted to see if, if you maybe agree with this, it, ASU isn't necessarily, I don't think this offense is going to, uh, ASU won't lose games because their offense can't score points. It's going to be more of a team um, centered around being on the wrong side of a shootout, right? Something like that. So at the very least, in that regard, we're kind of under the impression that this might be a pretty fun team to watch if you uh, if you might be a fan of, of taking it over in a late Pac-12 game or something like that. Is that kind of the impression that you get as well? Is this is at the very least going to be a fun offensive team to watch? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's Arizona State, and it's Kenny Dillingham, and yeah. now it's Jaden Rashada. You know, there's going to be excitement. There's going to be big plays. There's going to be risks. Uh, it's, you know, I think that even in the games where, you know, they might be, I don't want to say outclassed, but where they're still figuring things out early on against, you know, really strong teams that have well-established programs like and coaching staffs, I think they're still going to be, really exciting stuff to watch. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of how Arizona State has managed to to be a lot of the time. It's part, part of the vibe of the program. And it's certainly, you know, something that you would expect out of a Kenny Dillingham run team. So I I, I definitely think they're always going to be worth tuning into. And yeah, they're, they're, it's the classic, another classic Pac-12 after dark team. But it's... You know, I, I do think that, like we talked about, if you don't have 
strength and size on the line at a power five elite level, there are going to be games where you're going to struggle. And I do think that we will see that and that the, the youth of the team and the coaching staff will be seen at times early on. But, you know, it's going to be extremely exciting. And I think that it's a team that you'll see improvement uh, as the season goes on for sure. Yeah, and they have the personnel. I mean, I mentioned the receivers earlier, but you have Badger, Jordan Tyson from Colorado. Gillery has been look good at practice. Then you have Conyers. Like, there's just a bunch of guys that Dillingham can get the ball in their hands, and it's a good option, you know. And so I think that that gives you a chance in a lot of games because um, guys can just, like, make plays. And, oh, it's a touchdown drive when it whether, otherwise wouldn't have been. Um and just, you know, look, at, for the ASU fan base, I think it's better to have a team that, like, if they go 6-6, six and six, they do it as an offensive team as opposed to being Iowa football, you know. <laughs> and just having those guys on the outside, I think that just adds just such just a fun element to this team, even if there's, you know, there's inevitably going to be gr- growing pains. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree, but it's... Uh... It's Kenny, you know, it's it's going to be exciting. It's going to be worth watching. And, and we're going to know after every game exactly how Kenny feels about what happened. Uh, so we're definitely, we're going to take that journey along along with him. Uh, but no, they're they're going to be great to watch. It's ASU, it's Kenny, and, and, and I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's you know, I, I do think there will be growing pains, but that's that's what it comes down to with a with a yeah. young coach and a young quarterback you know that's inevitable no you were so right about the uh he's not going to be able to hide his emotions because he is very like he very much like wears his emotions on his sleeve and it, it's kind of refreshing but you also like in the back of your head be like man like maybe there's a reason why college coaches are so wooden all the time <laughs> you know it's easy it's it might be better to you know be that way but yeah, and he'll learn. He'll learn that. But we gotta we gotta take advantage of being able to to you know hear a little bit more candidness out of the coach while we can. So yeah, definitely. Herm Herm was like that a little bit, um, which I mean, obviously, it's best to just turn the page on that era. But um, maybe Kenny will will be er, uh, a little more outspoken for longer than we think. That would be cool because it is refreshing. To see a guy that'll actually talk to the media and tell you what he's thinking, um, as opposed to the the classic coach speak that that's so prevalent. But um, switching gears a little bit, because I know that you have been um, ha- have covered ASU through this whole shift of of conferences and everything like that, um, and especially at the tail end, because I remember Mark and I recorded an episode the Thursday night before um, ASU eventually made the move. And that morning was when Oregon and Washington, who were rumored to be already in the Big Ten, were kind of second-guessing it a little bit. Uh, Could you take us through your perspective on covering that that whole move, especially at the tail end? Because we know Michael Crow was was somebody who really went in kicking and screaming to an extent uh, for for lack of a better way to phrase that. But can you walk us through what it was like from your perspective that that last end when they were trying to push this over the goal line? Yeah, well, that was certainly uh, a wild 48 hours in college sports. 
And, you know, the, the college sports landscape fundamentally changed overnight, basically. Well, it seemed like there for a second things were, were you know, uh, going to stay the same. But it, you know, we ultimately see the first and what I think will ultimately end up being a series of like massive fundamental changes to college sports that, you know, in the next 10 to 15 years, we'll start to get a more solidified idea of what everything will look like. But, yeah, I mean it does seem to be the case that crow did everything he could to preserve the pac 12 and you know you can look at it one way where you know the pac 12 it's been around in some form since you know 1915 and it's you know the conference that we all grew up watching you know that asu's been in for decades and so you can understand why Crow would have, you know, a vested interest in keeping that around. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it also became clear that there were things that the other university presidents were starting <coughs> to see about the college sports landscape, about the realities of what college sports is becoming that Crow was not on the same page with and was not seeing. And I think ultimately that was a part of why we thought for a moment there on Friday morning that the Pac-9 was going to stay together and possibly add some schools because, you know, U of A and Utah had already applied to the Big 12. There's reporting to indicate that that application had happened and that the Big 12 presidents had agreed to take them if, you know, the trigger was pulled. But it sounds like Crow at that Board of Regents meeting on Thursday evening uh, that, you know, was immediately close to the public the moment it started. <laughs> okay. Crow, you know, made it clear that there was an interest in trying to keep the Pac-12 alive and, you know, putting the Oregon and, and Washington stuff on top of that. It For a moment there, it did seem like the Pac-12 was going to survive. But then, you know, Oregon and Washington, as Crow said, no-showed to the meeting where they were going to sign the grant of rights and the media rights deal. And that was that. Yeah, I mean that was just a just a wild cuz I went to bed that Thursday night being like okay like Michael Crow like he clearly doesn't want to do this but whatever like he just kind of has to cuz Oregon and Washington aren't you know they're leaving and and then the morning it's like oh it's actually it's not going to happen but then it's like oh it is going to happen and it's like Michael Crow had nowhere else to go he had he had to uh, and the whole time, honestly, one of the things that I'm thinking is like, man, ASU athletics is just so lucky that you're at ASU, like you're at a giant school, you're in the Phoenix media market, like all of these like non-actual athletic things we have in our benefit. Uh, and, you know, if you're Wazoo and you're Oregon State, you've been better on the football field, you know, the last two years at least. And um, you just kind of have everything together more in that sense, but it doesn't matter just because of your market. And it's just like, man, like, cause just honestly, like Crow did not lead ASU through this transition well at all. He like, he, he just flat out didn't. And like, we're just lucky that the bit like, well, lucky is not the right phrase because we do have the media market. We do have the uh, alumni, the whatever, the enrollment, all that. Um, 
but fortunate, ASU was fortunate that had those things to kind of lean back on to get a full share from the Big 12, despite this whole time, like, I didn't, you know, like, it, ASU, like, they had made zero indication of, oh, we're going to the Big 12, like, they, every, at every turn, they were like, oh, we're not going, this is not happening, and then they just, they, they go just because they're, they have the, you know, other tangential stuff, and it's just like, man, like, it's weird that we enter this conference, like, I think Stuart Mandela did a tweet about it. Like almost every time a team joins a conference, it's like described as like awesome news for that school. But with ASU, it's like they they only they they're only in the conference because they have to be at least from the uh, upper levels. It's it's just such a we- it's so weird how it all went down. Yeah, no, I think that's a really really good point about how ASU was kind of getting carried by you know the fact that it was in Phoenix and that it has the market size there uh, because. You know, I, I spoke to Crow in, in March, and he made it clear right. that they had not had discussions with the Big 12 and that they were invested fully in the Pac-12, which is, you know, the party line, and it's something that the other presidents had indicated, but he had the strongest language at that point. Yes. And we've known, and I, this whole situation, at least ASU's role in it, has been, you know, in the works for a decade or more, because Crow has you know, made it clear where his priorities are at the university and also within the athletic department. And, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, he, the one thing that really is important to him is that, you know, we have, you know, the opportunity to compete against Stanford and Cal Berkeley in Olympic sports that, you know, other sports don't have and the investments, which to their credit, investments in, women's sports and in <coughs> Olympic, you know, non-revenue sports. And that's really important. But I think that there's a disconnect where you see across the country in schools that have invested into their football program and to a lesser extent into their basketball program, uh, into facilities, but also, you know, developing, you know, within NCAA regulations, a strong NIL program and stuff like that. And, and, those schools that do that, you got to spend money to make money. And for every dollar you put into football, you're getting a lot more than a dollar back, which is not the case with most other sports. And so if, if you want to, you know, have a strong football program that media companies want to pay your conference money to show on television, if you want to create, you know, a sustainable winning program, that's exciting. And you have, everything around you that you need. You're in Phoenix. You've got the Pac-12 after dark vibe. You know, you had Herm Edwards, you know, like who, which was an interesting story and, and national attention. Like you have all the conditions there, but I think that there was a lot to be learned and a lot that may have been learned about the importance of football and investment in football to, you know, the strength and the position of your athletic department. And you know, maybe with a brand. Phoenix became the largest media market in the Pac-12 or, you know, you got the, the Bay Area, but, you know, they're not in San Francisco. Right. You know, it's it's well, and nobody cares America. about either of those schools. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, you have we, the can, we can complain about ASU's fan base and there's a lot to complain about, but it's not even close to like Cal and Stanford anyway. But yeah. And that's why they've been left behind. When yeah. you know they, well, maybe they might go to the ACC. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, 
Stanford can can pay to get wherever they want if if they want to. But yeah, I I think that Crow learned a lot and Anderson and everybody learned a lot about the importance of investment in football. And I think that there's a chance that we we see the back end of that where there's there's more investment and they're going to get more TV money than they had before from the Big 12. So we'll see if that if that ends up materializing. Yeah, it's 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 just um, oh, I had a point that I was going to make that popped up in my head when, as you were talking, but um, it's yeah, no, it's this whole oh yeah, here's what it is. It's like the thing with the Pac-12 is like it's all these people who university presidents, and the problem is like all of these schools, including ASU, had way too big of a like. Uh, version of themselves in their head, but that same, and maybe it is true about, you know, the research money that UW does or whatever, but like, it doesn't matter in terms of sports context. And so you have all these people, you have all these non-sports people making huge sports decisions. And I mean, if you look at some of the reporting that's come out, it's like, they don't know what they haven't, like, they don't know what they were doing with that. When they ask ESPN for $50 million of school, and it's <laughs> it's just yeah yeah it's just so much that's like and I mean honestly like my, I feel like Michael Crow was the ringleader in a lot of this I mean especially when you have quotes he has quoted in like 2019 being like oh you know Larry Scott's good commissioner people will be wondering why the Pac-12 surpassed us and all this and it's like man yeah yeah and you tough. you contrast it with the Big 12 which does not have you know schools with similar endowment size as some of the Pac-12 schools. Oh, they yeah. don't have, you know, the research investment, the the academic uh, strength of some of the Pac-12 programs. And But they had university presidents who hired a commissioner who knew how to meet the moment and empowered their commissioner to go and take risks because they understood that their survival was at stake, yep. which is something that I don't think many of the Pac-12 presidents I think Oregon State and Washington State knew it, but I don't think many of the other Pac-12 right. presidents were were tuned into that. And you know, here we are. We're you know, the Pac-12 blew a three-one lead on the on the Big Twelve. You know, they 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 had it, and 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 now we're in a world where ASU is in the Big Twelve, and the Big Twelve is, you know, sixteen teams, and and might grow some more, and they're going to survive, and the Pac-12 didn't. Yeah, um, Colton, were you going to say something? I was just. I keep thinking about. Every time we discuss the Big 12, I just think of the basketball element of this and how insane this conference is going to be. Um, it, they just they created a basketball super conference. And it's it's like I, I, I imagine the best year ASU is going to have basketball wise. And sorry to just like this was not an elegant segue at all. It's just kind of like I'm always like the best that we are going to do basketball wise for a very long time is like barely get out of the bottom four of this conference. So it, it yeah. is crazy looking at all of the teams that we're going to be competing against in, in a basketball sense and um, how that's going to work out. But in terms of the future of the the teams left, I know you mentioned uh, Washington State and, and Oregon State as the teams that were like, we're going to be left out if this goes south. And that for all intents and purposes, they they have been. What do you think the future looks like for for do you have any idea of what the future might look like for the schools that have 
sort of been left behind. I know we've heard rumblings of Stanford and Cal to the ACC and things like that. Uh, the one thing we haven't heard too much about, or at least maybe I, I haven't heard too much about, is Oregon State and Washington State because I feel like they took the biggest L, so to speak, in, in everything that's happened so far. Yeah, so just from the reporting we've seen pretty much over the last day, uh, it would seem that the ACC you know, had cooled on the idea of adding Stanford and Cal. I don't think that Oregon State and Washington State are being considered by the ACC, but I think that there has been a rejuvenation in those talks as some of the reporting and that there's a chance that Cal and Stanford, as well as SMU, who was a school that was yeah. targeted by the Pac-12 for a while. You know, and they're just going to the pay their way. They're just not going to take any media rights money, which is yeah. insane, but also a huge flex, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the boosters, if you've got, you know, the the folks who are willing to buy your way into a conference, like, you know, uh, this is the world that we live in. And you can understand from their perspective why that money might be worth it, because, you know, you, you look at the five and some of the non-SEC Big Ten teams are starting to, you know, wonder what's going on with that. Think about if you're a group of five team, you know, and you have the opportunity to buy your way into a major conference, like, you do it if you can. So it, it sounds like there's a chance that Cal, Stanford, and SMU could end up in the ACC, and that Stanford in particular is really looking for that invitation. Uh, but on the Oregon State and Washington State front, I saw a report today that uh, the Mountain West commissioner made a presentation to Washington State, uh, basically courting them into what would be a Mountain West expansion, and that they were planning to make a presentation to Oregon State as well. And I think from a culture and on-field court product standpoint, that Oregon State and Washington State are great fits for the Mountain West. Uh, they're, they're, they're Honestly, their athletic budgets you know, are at times a little bit closer to the Mountain West than they were the Pac-12 anyway. Uh, and I think that just their play style in you know, football, for example, you know, Washington State, you know, fast team always likes to put up a lot of points like, you know, there's a lot of that in the Mountain West as well. And and the geographic fit is is pretty, you know, pretty clear. So I, you know, though we'll know probably very soon what the results of all of that will be. And I, I think that, you know, although Oregon State and Washington State in a perfect world would probably want to maintain their power five status. You know, there are going to be losers in this yeah. process of consolidation. And unfortunately, I, I think it was the writing was on the wall a while ago that Oregon State and Washington State were, were in danger. But, you know, the Mountain West is cool. <laughs> like, I think the Mountain West is cool. And, you know, you're, you're taking a, a pretty substantial media rights hit, which I understand that that can be a, a huge problem in a lot of ways. But for the consumer and for the fans, I think that this is an interesting opportunity for them. Yeah, absolutely. You like, go to Honolulu too. I'm watching, <laughs> exactly. I'm watching Hawaii football every Saturday at 11 p.m. So it works <laughs> for me. And you get to go to Laramie in late November. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's there's pros and cons. We'll call yeah, it pros two and iconic cons. destinations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I I love the Mountain West. Like I love watching Mountain West games. There's always something on late, uh, including Hawaii, which have. Colton and I have watched many late Hawaii games on a Saturday night. Uh, and 
you're you're so right. It's 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 tough because they're just taking so much of a hit in terms of media rights distribution that like people like people are gonna lose their jobs and stuff. Like they just can't support as many staffers. But like just you're right from an on field standpoint. Like it it I would rather be like I would rather be a Wazoo fan or Oregon State fan like right now today than a Cal or Stanford fan. Because sure you get to go to the ACC, but like you can't go to like unless you already live on the East Coast, you can't go to any of the games. You don't have any sort of relationship with any of the teams. Your, I mean, your football teams are going to get blown, are already in a bad spot already, and they're probably just going to get blown out each week because they have to go to the East Coast every single game. Like, if you're Oregon State, like, sure, it's going to be weird playing like San Jose State and like, uh. I don't know, like UNLV or like some of these cruddier Mountain West teams, yeah, but Mexico, Boise State, like you, you, you oh bring yeah, in Boise State. You bring in Fresno State. You bring in um, who's been oh like Air Force has been good. San Diego State, like you bring yeah, in those State teams, State. and like those are legit matchups. And the Mountain West will be like the fifth best conference too. That's the other thing, uh, especially if Jonathan Smith stays. But it's funny, like. Throughout this, like, even though despite ASU did not want to leave at all, it kind of ended up in a kind of a beneficial spot in turn, like from a relative perspective based on travel in the Big 12. Because sure, you have to go to Morgantown, oh no, or, <laughs> or uh, Cincinnati or um, Orlando, but all the other trips are fairly reasonable. It's in Texas, Kansas, still Utah. Um it's 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 kind of funny how it just like despite just totally not playing this well at all and not even like kind of seeing the writing on the wall, ASU just ends up in a conference that actually isn't the worst fit. While like all the other schools in the Pac-12 basically have to go to the East Coast or they are in the Mountain West. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a service to the non-football athletes at ASU that they are in the Big 12 and not, for example, the ACC or even the Big 10. And I think, you know, and people have talked about this at length, but it's worth mentioning that the biggest losers in all of this truly are, you know, the non-revenue sport athletes at schools like Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA that, you know, football can take it. They travel on the weekends, you know, six seven times a year charter yeah it's the it's the volleyball and the swimming and the 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 sports that have you know more irregular travel schedules uh and where maybe you know those athletes are not as likely to receive big time nil deals and so it's a bigger deal that they're missing a lot of class uh it's it's just tragic and it's it's something that I wonder if the people who are pulling the strings and making a lot of this happen, if they took into account, uh, you know, if those if those athletes, you know, the thoughts and feelings of those athletes, uh, I don't think so, because I think that media companies and, you know, <laughs> football oriented athletic departments are driving all of this. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's yeah. And I mean, you mentioned I mean, like. I'm excited for Big 12 baseball. I think that'll be fun. Um, and I mean, Big 12 basketball, like it's it's going to be really interesting. Just I wonder if it changed recruiting for Hurley. I don't think it will because like he kind of recruits nationally already. Um, 
Yeah, just, congrats, Bobby Hurley, on your contract extension. Now you got to go to Lawrence, you know, every year and yeah, and yeah. Kansas and play Big Twelve basketball. You know, they were they were in Europe and right. you know traveling and and having a wonderful time, and all of a sudden they come back and they're in the Big Twelve, and it's a completely different basketball situation. Obviously, it's it's. It's yeah, but Alex, great. at least their arena is, is serviceable, right? Entirely functional is the. Oh, entirely the, functional. There it is. Okay. Oh man. What was your you're, you're kind of a, you're you're kind of an honored guest on this show because we we mention that quote probably once an episode whenever we we get to anything basketball. So we're we're gonna have to ask you about that at some point. But Mark, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just going to ask him, what what was your reaction when he said, oh, yeah, you know, the arena is functional? <laughs> like, yeah, so that I mean, obviously that you meeting, can't like, be super reactive when you're with him, but uh, just yeah. like in your head. Yeah. yeah. And that meeting was really interesting. I, I was not the only one there. And and, you know, at one point he was asked a question about A.I. and he asked his A.I. bot on his phone to, you know, I think it was to define intersectional feminism. And we sat there and listened to it define that. Uh, I think it was in, a, in an Australian accent. It, you know, he, he is a very charismatic guy and, and a great interview. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, it was really fascinating in particular to hear him pretty specifically uh, contradict what Ray Anderson, the athletic director, said on the record about, because the way I presented it was this is what Ray Anderson said that the arena was in dire need of renovations, which is something he has said, I believe on, it was uh, Gambo's podcast yeah, with Arizona well, sports. The Arizona sports yeah. yeah. And, you know, he basically said like, I don't, I don't think it's in dire need and, you know, kind of emphasize that word. And I think that, you know, that that's two different perspectives on on within the highest levels of of ASU athletics as to what, you know, is is important moving forward about the basketball stadium. But what what I can say is what everybody already knows, which is it is in dire need of renovations. It's not it was not at a Pac-12 level. It is certainly not at a Big 12 standard for a basketball facility. Uh, if you just, you know, take the median Big 12 basketball facility. And so if you're going to host, you know, Kansas and Kansas State and West Virginia and these, you know, historically strong basketball schools in the Big 12, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that it's worth continuing to ask the question whether that arena deserves renovations. But yeah, it's, that that was certainly kind of a moment where you you perk up and and you know when he kind of pretty squarely contradicts what Ray Anderson had said. Yeah, that's yeah. an added aspect to it that I kind of forgot about. Um, I mean, like I like Desert Financial Arena, like just but it's like I like it as a fan, you know. Like I don't have like I obviously understand it needs to be like at least renovated or something, but it. It feels like Michael Crow wanted just the Coyotes thing to pass. And then so he could just be like, oh, you guys can just play basketball over there. But um, now either something has to be done now because there's not going to be a new arena coming to town. Yeah. And we asked about that and he volunteered, you know, we didn't ask specifically like 
if that were to pass and be built, would you put the basketball teams in there? But he did say, you know, people have said like, oh, you're going to put the basketball teams in the Kaiser arena if it passes. You know, that's not necessarily the case. So he did, you know, address that. But I do think that there were a lot of people at a lot of levels of involvement, you know, that thought that there was a pretty strong chance that if that were to pass and, and be constructed. But that would have been several years in the future anyway. Uh, so right. who knows if they would have, you know, decided to do some changes to the existing arena in the meantime. But, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly uh, something to watch because I don't think that is going to go away. It's going to continue to be their arena, and they're going to keep playing basketball games in it, and now they're going to host Big 12 schools in it. So yeah. It's going to continue I, to deteriorate, too, just as the yeah. time goes on. <laughs> going to keep yeah. getting older, right. Yeah. I, I think there's such an interesting um, – element in terms of, of basketball recruiting too and Bobby Hurley has done such a good job at especially in this transfer era of kind of retooling his roster every year but uh, when you when you're recruiting in the big 12 so to speak and, you, and you're bringing in um, the, these guys and trying to compete with with Kansas and and Baylor and all of these other schools that are going to be in your conference that has to heighten the the urgency right I, I know you mentioned this isn't going anywhere but that element of this whole issue is only going to, it has to make this more of a priority. Is that, is that kind of how you, you feel a little bit? Yeah. I, I, I mean, like it's, it's behind the standards of the PAC 12 arenas right now. And I think that that problem probably exacerbates uh, if you move to the big 12, when you move to the big yeah. 12. So I, I certainly, think it will be on the lower end as far as stadium facility quality uh, of the Big 12. Now, you know, the people who make those decisions have to determine whether that's a priority and whether that's something worth addressing ultimately. But I, I do think that it's pretty clear that it's behind on that aspect. Yeah, well, we're definitely in agreement on that. I, I love I love going to the games and sitting in in sections where there's four other people in the section and everything that's all great uh but i don't think you sell recruits on that you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah completely yeah. agree yeah totally uh well as we kind of wrap this up um just curious like going to the big 12 there's so much newness to it like there's so much well i guess other than like the three other schools that are coming along with but like going to these random schools in Texas and like West Virginia, like what is the, what's kind of the, uh, the rivalry, the potential rivalry that ASU could have that kind of interests you as they move into the big 12? I think, uh, I love that question. And I, I'm excited to play BYU. Uh, I think from a geography standpoint, from a, uh, culture of the fan base and, you know, the culture of the university standpoint, there's a lot of really interesting contrasts. And I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that those two fan bases are going to learn to find ways to dislike each other. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that in a, in a very healthy rivalry way, of course. But uh, of course, I, yeah, of course. But I, I, I'm really excited for that. Obviously, it's a joy that the world gets BYU-Utah back as a conference game because of all this movement. You know, it's kind of a story that fell under the radar that all of a sudden that's back. And, and that's a serious, serious rivalry. And so if, if yeah. ASU 
you know, starts to play BYU and they get some, some, you know, high profile games against each other. I certainly see that. And from a geography standpoint as well, obviously as, as a really ripe opportunity for uh, a new healthy rivalry for ASU. That, That's a great yeah. one. I, I just think back to that BYU game two years ago and, and the intensity in that game. And I can only imagine like what that would be like. And BYU, I, I, Feel like flies under the radar sometimes so the second you mentioned that i'm like oh yeah that would be wild that's a good one <laughs> and there's a lot of byu fans in the valley so yeah for that, sure that's what really makes it interesting yeah, yeah for sure no i'm i'm really excited no like everyone's saying oh it's going to be like asu west virginia is going to be a big rivalry and i'm like because of a dumb joke made by our ad like we're going to play them once every three years like i don't think like Maybe the first game there will be some buzz around it, but it's it it'll just fade away after that. But like BYU definitely, and I think Texas Tech could be mm-hmm. a great rivalry for us. I think there's a lot of similarities between the schools. You have some. I mean, they were in the conference, you know, the border conference way back when, and the, there's the recent uh, you know game against Mahomes at Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, that game, yeah, <laughs> the Kalen Balaj game, but uh, yeah. it's. It's 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 weird because with the Big Twelve, you, you don't have like the like the USC's or Washington's or Oregon's, but you do, you also don't have like a Stanford or Cal where like nobody cares either. So it's a it's a nice mix. No, I completely agree, and I I one hundred percent agree on the parallels between Texas Tech and ASU, uh, especially in you know their their football and basketball, you know play style and kind of just vibe and role within the conference. I I think that's a really a really good one uh that'll be a fun one to watch for sure yeah all right well uh i'm gonna wrap this up i have one more question i'm gonna ask everyone uh colton and i probably won't record uh next week just since the southern utah game is on a thursday so this will be all our last show until then with that in mind uh let's give a Score prediction for Southern Utah and a season record prediction for ASU. I'll start off. I think ASU wins 48 to 16. I think the defense will allow Southern Utah will like get some yards, but they'll settle for a few field goals and then ASU pulls away. Season record prediction. I'm going to go six and six. I'll say six and six. I think they can squeak into a bowl game. Um, it's going to be a weird way that they get there, but I'll, I'll be optimistic, I guess, and go six and six. How about, uh, Colton, let's go with you and then finish off with Alex. All right. Score prediction. This is so tough. This, I, I don't know if, if somebody gets this right, it'll be like unreal. I'm, I'm asking for all their gambling plays if they get this right. But I, I feel like 38, 10. Is, is what I'm going with, with ASU obviously winning this game. Um, I can see uh, – scratch that. I'm going 38-13. Let's go 38-13 okay. ASU. Um, and then season prediction. Uh, you know, when Alex mentioned earlier that there's always that a team that comes to Sun Devil Stadium and uh, late in the season and there's always some, like, classic surrounding that game – I, I'm seeing this Oregon game staring at me on November 18th, and I feel like I like your six and six prediction, and that's what I'm going to go with. And I think they're going to be Oregon 
in that game to to get a six. Uh, well, they'll be at, let's say, I'm trying to do the math on the spot. What would that be? Five and f- five and five, they'll win that game. Entering the game. No. Four and five, they'll win that game. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. They'll be four and six entering that game. They'll beat, beat U of A. They'll finish at six and six. There we go. That was painless. Okay. <laughs> that would be quite the way to get to six and six. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm adding some, uh, some suspense there, I guess. There we go. All right, Alex, finish this off. Uh, as far as score prediction, uh, I'll go around Colton's vibe. I'll go like 31 to 6. Uh, I think the defense will, will take it as a point of pride that they don't allow a touchdown in the opening game. Uh, as far as season record, I think you guys are a little bit optimistic. I'll go five and seven. I'll go five and seven. I see win opportunities early on. I think Southern Utah and Fresno State are great chances. Uh, I see Cal and then Colorado as two very winnable games as well. And then I look at the rest of the schedule, and I think that getting one of those games would be a success because it's an extremely difficult schedule down the stretch. So, And I expect them to... You know, like we talked about, you know, maybe win one game that they that they shouldn't, and then, you know, U of A is always a toss-up. They've they've improved in a lot of ways, so I'll go with five and seven just to be different from you guys. I feel that. Hey, you know what? Uh, five and seven covers the uh, season win total. So, really, that's all that matters if if, if we're being honest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Alex, thanks for hopping on and. Uh, you know, if you're watching the show, please like and subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on your podcast. Alex, we got we to gotta have you on again, man, when the season starts. It was awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, we'll, uh, I got your email, and, yeah, we can, we can talk after, uh, you know, ASU beats Colorado <laughs> at 50 points. That, that <laughs> would be that I am so excited for that Colorado game. Like no matter what, no matter how the season even goes, like might be two awful teams, but it's, there's just going to be so much to come out of that game. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in and as always go doubles.